God is so good. Amen and amen. Remain standing with me as we read the scriptures together. Uh, we're looking at the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. It'll be on the screen and, and you can follow along. And if you're one of uh, the runners who's running the Chicago Marathon right now and you're watching us on Facebook Live, you're standing, keep standing. We're glad you're doing that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, you can clap for them because they can hear you. There's some of them. That's for you. Keep going. First Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul to you and me. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, where we came from. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, listen, this is all of you. Read this out loud with me. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Looking at the purpose of the church, and uh, we, are, we do have uh, runners running the Chicago Marathon today. There's probably, I don't know, with family and friends and cheers, 100 or so folks in Chicago right now cheering them on. And uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, would you go on Facebook? I put a note and tried to tag as many of the runners that I knew were running. And you can donate 50 bucks, gives clean water for life to a child uh, in a developing country. Uh, and it's a really powerful thing you can do today. So uh, for all of our runners, keep running. Hope this gets you through the next 30 minutes. I know how that goes. So uh, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. And uh, when we get the church wrong, we misunderstand the purpose of the church. A lot goes wrong. The church is not, the church is not a club. It's not a club for uh, religious people. It's not where, uh, it's not a spa that we go to get treatments. Oh, I, f- I felt so good in the worship today. Now, that's great. We want you to feel that, but that's not the point. It's not a store where you come and consume religious goods and services. Uh, re- it's not a, a hobby. Um, you know, honestly, religion's a terrible hobby. If, if you have religion as a hobby, it's a really terrible hobby. Um, some of you, maybe you say, you know, well, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm spiritual. What that means is that you go to yoga class. You know, that's awesome. It's just you need to know that there's more than that. It's, it's a terrible hobby. And you and I, apart from the grace and mercy of God, are a mess. That's what we talked about last week. So we're made to worship. This is the purpose of the church that's going to exist for all eternity is worshiping God together. Um, and, but if, if we don't understand what's going on inside of us, we're going to be a mess for a really, really long time. And you can kick against that all you want. Sin, we talked about this a little bit last week, sin is in my understanding, it's quantifiable. We can just look around and see how the decisions and choices and patterns that we have are the reason that so much is messed up in the world. And this week, we're going to talk about it, um, the second purpose of the church. Now, it's, it's, it's in our mission statement as a church, so if you know our mission statement, our mission statement is to, uh, uh, to make disciples who, do you know, there's three things we say, and we say it to you at the end of every service, to do what? To love God, to love people, and to serve the world. Love God, love people, and serve the world. We're going to talk about that second component today, about love. Now, that sounds so warm, and it sounds, that's, you know, that's what we're supposed to be about. But let me, let me be specific, because we're talking about loving people, and that's where it gets really, really sticky. So if you're keeping notes, and you want to fill in the blanks uh, today as we go along, here's, the, here's kind of the metaphor I'm going to work for with this morning. Uh, it's this. The church is the school where we learn to love people. The church is a school where we learn to love people. How many of you love school? How many of you just you thought it was great, like both of you? Okay, good. Yeah. 
No, no one likes school. But you, you remember, right? Even just you know, kindergarten all the way through high school, uh, you had some easy years, didn't you? You had some years you go, man, I loved, uh, I loved third grade, or I loved my junior year. I, I, man, it was so easy. Everything went well for me. But then you also know that you had some years where you said, this is the, I hated ninth grade. I hated seventh grade. It was awful. Or you may even remember a specific teacher and you say, that teacher was incredibly hard or I, I just couldn't get the material. All of that experience is the experience of school. And you had to stay through the easy years and the hard years and the difficult teachers and the difficult subjects in order to graduate. Now, this is, this is why this is so important that, that we all are on the same page about this, because what happens is many people treat the church like a store, and they come in, and when it's not quite the way that they want it, or they think something a little bit differently should have happened at a certain place, they complain to the manager or the management, and then if they don't get what they want, then they go find a different religious store to be a part of. Well, if you treat it like a store, you never learn the lessons that the school has to teach you. Do you, do you see that? Can, can, does that make sense to you? Does it jive with you? So I want to talk about that. The church is the school where we learn to love people. Now, I think there are more than this, but there are at least three challenges to loving people, and they're really, really simple. Uh, and here's the first one. Three challenges to loving people. Number one, do you know what the number one challenge is to loving people, to you being able to love people and people being able to love you? Do you know what the number one challenge is? It's me. It's me. I am the biggest obstacle to loving pe- people. You know, I love me, and so I serve me, and I take care of me, but I also, I get hurt, and I misunderstand, and I think I see it right, and I get self-righteous, and I put off and push away. I mean, I'm, I'm the biggest obstacle that I have to loving people. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. <laughs> and, and honestly, I got I to tell you, because for some, some of us, we never want to admit that we're part of the problem. We never want to say that, but it's very freeing to admit, you know what, I'm the biggest part of the problem. I've reminded you of this almost on a yearly basis, and so this is my annual reminder of this little story. Uh, there's a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He, was, he influenced all these people. He was an English Christian in the late 1800s, and um, he wrote, uh, there was an essay in the paper, the, the London paper at the time, and the, the, the essay said, Uh, asked all these influential people, of which G.K. Chesterton was one of them, Uh, they asked this question, what uh, what is wrong with the world? I've got a picture here of G.K. Chesterton, and you can kind of look at, a guy like that has got to be the reason what's wrong with the world, because this is his answer. He said, what's wrong with the world? And this this was his four-word answer that sums up what I'm trying to say to you. Dear sirs, I am. Dear sirs, I am. Now, he wasn't putting himself down, he was acknowledging that the first obstacle in any change pro- uh, process is me. Again, turn to your neighbor, he really, say, he really is talking about me. <laughs> so you, if you have a problem with loving somebody in your life, uh, and you think about it this afternoon, I want you to tell yourself, I have to solve me first. I have to solve me first. Here's a prayer, okay? Here's a prayer. Will you, will you, will you pray this? Way? I'm going to say the prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to say it out loud, because this is a really, really powerful prayer. Here's the prayer that you can pray. God, help me solve the problem of me. Would you pray that with me? God, help me solve the problem of me. Heal me, show me, point out to me, encourage me to see me. 
Because I'm the biggest problem that I have in learning to love people. And listen, when you went to school, you know who the, the hardest person to manage was through the whole time you were in school? You, right? It's, that's the case. So first, first challenge in learning to love people is me. Second uh, is you. You, you're the second biggest challenge. When you go to school, first you learn to manage yourself, but then you have to learn to manage and get along with the people around me. And the reality is is that you're just like me. You're fallible and you're prone to misunderstanding and you can't see you. Psychologists call it the the fundamental attribution error. And the fundamental attribution error is when I judge myself on my motives and I judge you on your behavior. And I don't extend the same courtesy or kindness that I, to you that I extend to myself. So you are part of the problem. So, so you're, you're moving away from me or you're seeing it differently. It, it's kind of like uh, the, the, when you're trying to love somebody and you got to deal with you and then you also got to deal with the, the, the other person. It's kind of like a problem in marriage. You know, if you, if you take a problem in marriage, let's, let's just say that this, that my Bible here represents the problem that you have. It's just free, free marriage advice, okay? Hard, hard, hard won marriage advice right here. Um, if, you take the, if you take the problem and you say to the other person, you put them over here that you're married to, and you say, here's the problem, it's your problem. Take it and fix it. Now, what, what happens when you create this kind of thing? What, who, who, it's you against them, right? You know that in a marriage, when you win, when one person wins, both of you lose. You, you know that's right, right? You can say amen to that because that's really, really, really true. But if you can learn to do this, if you can say to your partner, hey, we together have this, we together have this problem. How could we go about solving this problem? Do you, that's hard. 23 years to learn that, okay? I'm giving it to you. So there you go. It's that way, though. It's that way, though. We, we, sometimes we take the problem and we say, you're the, you're the problem. And so I'm me and you're you, and it can be hard to get on the same side of the tables because maybe, maybe I'm working on solving me, but it seems like you're not working on solving you, and so when we try to love each other, we can't get there. Or maybe you're working on solving you, but I'm not working on solving me, and so we can't get there. Or maybe when I'm trying to solve me or when you're trying to solve you, uh, you I don't have grace for you or you don't have grace for me, but I have to let you be you. I have to let you be you. But those, those are two of the biggest barriers right there, me and you. And then uh, the third thing is, I'll call it noise. I'll call it noise. Now, Jesus had a, a phrase for this um, in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, it's, I, think, I believe it's going to be on the screen. Do you have, yeah, there we go. This is what Jesus said. He's talking about the noise in the ability to love each other. You've heard that it was said, love your, enemy, hate, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus uh, Jesus is the master of life, so that means he understands how life works. That means he also understands how life goes wrong, and, and someone who knows how something works can tell you how it can go wrong. That's how you know you're dealing with a master. Um, if you have someone who is a, a really good mechanic, not only can they explain to you how the carburetor works, but they can tell you what happens when it goes wrong. Most of us, when it comes to life, you're like me with cars. I just know that it's broke, but I don't know how it works. And we, you can't fix something if you don't know how it's supposed to work. And what Jesus, who is the master of life, says, listen, the way life is meant to work is love. And how, how it goes wrong is when we get at odds with each other and we become enemies. That's the noise 
that keeps us from loving each other. And the way you deal with what's wrong is by knowing and doing what works. Now, where, what is, where is Jesus taking these, these things from? He says, you have heard that it was said. Now, he's re- referring to the Old Testament. And uh, if, if you know where Jesus is pulling this from, he's pulling that part about loving your neighbor from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek a revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but say the phrase out loud with me in the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Um, okay, that, that makes sense, but where does he get this thing about hating? You've heard that it was said, hate your enemy. Now, most scholars, when they look at this, they go, well, you know, that was just kind of the, that was just, that was just kind of the, the, the way that people thought in that day. I, here, here's, here's my take on that. I think that Jesus got that from the Psalms. Do you know the Psalms? The Psalms, if you were to take your, your um, old-fashioned paper Bible and open it right in the middle, you're going to usually open right to the Psalms. And the Psalms have been the prayer book for the Jewish people and Christian people for thousands of years now. Uh, But if you read the Psalms, and I, most mornings I read a Psalm and I just work my way all the way through the Psalms. And then when I get all the way through, I start back over and it just helps me to pray because there's all kinds of emotion in the Psalms. Um, But you'll, you'll be surprised at some of the things that you go, this is a prayer and it's in the Bible that I'm to pray that my baby's heads would be dashed against rocks because they're people that are, what? I mean, yeah, Psalm 137. But there's all these really uh, potent things about people that we're at odds with. This is what Psalm 35 says. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise, come to my aid. And I'm just giving you a few examples. Uh, Psalm 44, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. I could give you multiple examples of, in the Psalms, uh, uh, prayers being prayed about enemies. And now listen, this is actually religious justification for hating our enemies because people often use God to justify hate. In fact, this is what Jesus was criticizing the Pharisees uh, for doing. And, and honestly, our understanding, our theology can, try to, can make us try to be right and so blind us to the actual people that God loves. So here, here, I have this question as I'm going through this. I'm like, how do you square the Psalms that seem to say we're supposed to pray that God would get the people that we feel are against us or that we are against with the fact that Jesus said that we're supposed to love our enemy. How in the world? That's in the same book. How do you square those two things? And, and you need to know that Jesus knew the Psalms so intimately that he quoted them routinely when he was on the cross. He, he said the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. That's the start of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? He knew it so intimately that it just came out, and, and he, he knew it all the time. But here, here's, here's how I square that as a, as a pastor and, and the words of Jesus, because we follow Jesus. What the Psalms do is they give language to our deepest emotions so that we can give them to God and not hold on to them. You, you know, right, that prayer is not fake talk. When you pray, coming to God with what you are supposed to think or supposed to feel is not real prayer, that's that's posing, that's faking. Prayer is meant to be real talk, not posturing before God. And so the reason these kinds of psalms are in the Old Testament is that we pray this when we feel this. And you need to know that you're talking to your father so it's safe. It's like the text that you compose and then you delete. It's like the number that you dial but you don't hit call. It's like the letter that you write and that you don't send. And you're saying to God, God, 
here is my strongest emotion. But then, if you're a follower of Jesus, you go on with Jesus and you say, so now, God, that I've given you my hate, give me your love because I don't want to stay in hate. Do you see that? So the Psalms are a tool for our emotions. Jesus' message about loving our enemies because that's how life works. That's how life works. Uh, that's the noise in the system that you and I create because we're human beings and we're fallible. We don't always see everything. We don't always have the full perspective. And if we can get past the challenges, then we can actually learn to love each other. Did you know that life is sweet when you love people? Did you know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, life would be a lot better if you love folk more. (laughs) Life would be a lot better if you love folk more. Honestly, 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 some of you need to put the defrost setting on your heart and let it thaw and let it warm up and cozy up to people. Um, Frank's not here. Frank Brown, is, uh, he's kind of like my little brother. He's, he and Courtney are cheering on uh, the runners today. But if you know Frank, you know he just walks up to people and he gives them these great big giant hugs. And the reason he does it is because he's trying to make a connection. And uh, what Frank communicates is he communicates warmth. Now, I'm not saying you have to be like that. I'm not saying you have to just hug everybody because, I, I, and Frank may be listening to this. I love you, Frank. Because um, it's, it's a little awkward, but in a really good way, right? Because he's, he's an awesome, awesome guy. Uh, but this is, this is the purpose of the church. It's the school where we learn how to go deeper into love because when we don't, life is really hard. Life is really, really hard. Now, once we get clear on that the purpose of the church is to learn to love people, it's a school where we learn to love people, we have to get on with it, and we have to work together, and we have to love one another. Uh, John Wesley is one of my great heroes. He was the, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. He was a minister in the Church of England in the late 1700s, and um, he was so methodical in the way he went about his relationship with Jesus uh, when he was in school, and he and his brother Charles, that people made fun of them. They said, you are such Methodists in the way you go about it. They were mocking them. That name stuck, became the Methodist Church, out of which grew the Church of the Nazarene that we're a part of. Uh, but John Wesley was this, this massive, massive figure, uh, maybe the most famous man. He was a clergyman, but he was the most, maybe the most famous man in all of England. And at one point, um, he published so much. He was, he was like a best-selling author in England at the time. And he lived on 28 pounds. Pounds is the, the monetary uh, uh, value in England and back in that day. And he, so he, best-selling author, can you imagine how much money's coming in when you're a best-selling author? And John Wesley said, you know what, uh, I have everything that I need. And so he made sure he had what he needed and he gave the rest away. Like, who does that? And he has this famous, one of my favorite quotes of his, and he says this, and this is about love. He says, if your heart is as my heart, give me your hand. If your heart is as my heart, give me your hand. So this is what we need to do in the church is we need to look at each other and say, if your heart is as my heart, give me your hand and let's get on with it together already. So I want to give you out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this passage that we were looking at, 
three realizations that if you realize them and they sink down into you, that will make love easier. Because here's what Paul's working with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He uses a, the metaphor that's probably the key metaphor in all of the New Testament for describing the church. And the metaphor is a, a body. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So here are the three realizations that I think make love easier when you, when you get them and understand them. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Um, every part matters. Every part matters. Here's how he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. The body is made up, uh, is not made up of one part, but of what? Many. Many. I mean, it just look at your own body. You know, you don't have all arms. Uh, you don't have all eyes. You don't have all ears. You don't all have feet. Maybe you have two left feet, but that's a whole other thing. You've you got many parts to the body. And so then he uses this analogy, and he says, so if the foot says, well, because I'm not a hand, therefore I don't belong, or if the ear says, you know, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong, that we're missing the, the fact that every part matters. And, and the reality is, is that some parts we see and other parts uh, we don't. Now, there are two ways we can go this, because the, the metaphor he's using is we all have a part to play. You might be the foot, you might be the hand, you might be the ear, you might be the eyes, you might be the nose, you know, and those are the presentable parts that I will only talk about right here. I won't talk about the other parts. And, and what can happen, especially for the parts that are visible, is we can be envious of other parts and their role, and so we can try to gain a foothold. Because, see, we live in a world where we think visibility equals importance. We live in a celebrity culture uh, where you can become a, your full-time job can be to get on Instagram and take pictures of places that you've gone or how you've decorated your house or exercise routines or whatever it is. And if you gain enough followers, people are just looking at you, just seeing what you do, you can make a really good living today. Now, you don't know anything about the character of those people. You don't know anything about the character of celebrities. Um, but we have believed the lie that if you can see it, it must be more important, because then we also believe the lie that means if, if it's invisible or unseen, that means that it's unimportant. Not true, Paul's saying, not true. Every single part matters. Used to be over at this door uh, on Sunday mornings, Kathleen Miller uh, would sit in her wheelchair at 90-some years of age and greet people. I don't know how many years. Don, you might know. Is Don in here? Don Nelson, are you in here? There you are. How many years has Kat, was Kathleen part of the church? Over 50. And, and probably for most of those, probably sat back there or when she could stand, would greet people. You didn't know, unless you had took the time to see her. She was not visible. She didn't raise a big ruckus. She wasn't a big personality. Nobody heard her, her words of wisdom. She just kindly sat in this kind of little out-of-the-way corner because she understood that her part mattered. And that's, that's what Paul's trying to say, is that absolutely every part matters. Now, so don't, don't envy someone else's role that looks visible, uh, because you see the good, but you rarely see the bad, and so you've got to play your part. Now, listen, he uses this example of a foot and a hand. He says the foot can't say to the hand. Because, see, we, you don't see my foot because it's covered by a shoe, but you see my hand. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be distasteful when I use this analogy, but I think this was in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he's saying this. The foot steps in some things sometimes, right? 
and again, I'm not trying to be distasteful, but the hand is near those types of things all the time. Are, are you seeing what I'm saying right there? I'm not trying to be gross. I, I think that's the reality that Paul had in mind. And, and, and then he goes on and he says, you know, if we were all eyes, where would the hearing be? If you were all eyes, we'd be this big, giant, staring eye that just stares at people. How weird is that? I think that might be some churches that just stare at people. Or, or he says, if we were all ears, where would the sense of smell be? We're this giant ear trying to overhear everything that's happening. Oh, I heard. So every, every part matters. Second thing is every gift is to be shared. Every gift is to be shared. So he says, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? What's the reason? Could you say those words out loud? What? For the common good. So if I have a gift, if you have a gift, it's not for me, it's for we. God didn't give you your gift simply to fulfill you, though it's great when you serve and you feel fulfilled. He didn't give you your gift to fulfill you, but to complete all of us. Do you understand that? So if you can sing or if you can speak publicly or you can serve or you can administer or you can lead or you can comfort, you can bake a mean casserole that you take to someone uh, when they're not doing well, that's maybe the best gift in the entire church right there. Those of you who can bake, oh, I love you. You're the best. It's the gifts that God gives you is not meant to puff you up, but to build other people up. So every gift is meant to be shared. That's why God gave you the gifts, is to complete us. And then last thing uh, is that everybody needs the same page. We all need to operate off the same page in the church. This is how he says it in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 24 and 25. God's put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for each other. So you have a part, and I have a part, and she has a part, and he has a part, so that we can all work together. But my part isn't supposed to be more important than your part. In fact, he uses this example. He says the parts that are unpresentable, in other words, the parts that we cover up, that we don't want people to see out of, out of uh, you know, public decency, <laughs> he said we, we treat those parts, those unpresentable parts in the body because not everybody has a visible role and they may never have a visible role in fact they may be the people that we go oh yeah you know her <laughs> I, I this is i stole this from another pastor but he said you know there's sometimes there are people um that are difficult to to deal with they're, they're extra grace required people egr and um, if you, if you uh, can think of who the EGRs are, you're not one. But if you can't think of who they are, it's you. You're the EGR. We love you, but it's you, right? <laughs> uh, here's what Paul's saying is everybody gets treated with the same dignity and the same honor. Listen, let me, let me ask you a question. Where else does that happen? nowhere there is nothing on earth like the church nothing meant by god to be more beautiful it is the school this is the second purpose of the church it is the school where we learn to love let me pray for you okay would you stand with me
Thank you, God, for uh, the body of Christ, all of the parts, every single part, for the ligaments and the tendons and the elbows and the parts that are unpresentable and the parts that we see all the time and the parts that we're used to seeing. God, so many of us walk in and we, we live with the message from the world around us that we're only important if we're seen. And thank you that you see us all. And I pray, God, that in the church, people would know that they are seen and loved and that people are treated with the same dignity and the same respect and the same honor, no matter where they are in their own journey of understanding themselves in understanding you in learning to love and learning to deal with their own issues. Lord, thank you for the church. I, I don't understand it all, but I thank you for it because you put me in it. And you've taught me so much through it. And I'm so grateful. And so, God, I pray that would be the testimony of every person in this room. There have been some easy years. There have been some hard years in their journey with your people. There have been some hard teachers. There have been some hard moments. But, Lord, put perseverance into the heart of every person in this room that they would stay in school and learn the lesson. Thank you that you love us when we were the problem. You loved us when we were your enemy, when our heart was set against you. You loved us anyway. And so I pray that you would together teach us to love each other that same way. I pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. amen. We send you now with this blessing. You're sent to love God, to love people, uh, including yourself, because you're your biggest problem. The person you think is your biggest problem. And, and the people that you're currently struggling with, you're sent to love them in Jesus' name and to serve people in Jesus' name. Hug someone, tell me you love them. See ya, bye.